When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Airhorn. Airhorn. <laughs> I'm these are funny to me because the airhorns feel a little deflated today. <laughs> oh, the way I'm Air saying horn. it? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Airhorn. <laughs> That's funny. That's funny. I don't care who you are. <laughs> Uh, if you get that joke you might be a podcaster Uh, okay let's get to the show We open to the sound of the wind blowing through branches, of the creaking and swaying of boughs, to the calls of birds, which sound to the ear to be delicate and beautiful. But those who know can hear the terrible violence behind those sounds. We open in what looks like a glade, with knotted and gnarled roots and branches intertwined together and dewy moss surrounding the delicate frame of a bed. A bed that is a comforting thing, something that feels like a slice of home, the first slice of home that Jonnet Kessler has felt in a very long time. And although the events of the night before were extremely fraught. This allowed him to wake up in that very same comfort. Jonnet, the sun shines down on your face. Please describe yourself to our audience who might be encountering you for the first time. Yeah, so this is Jonnet Kessler, a young man of 16, he is black skinned, kind of shaved. I would actually, I feel like it may be, it may have been a while since like he's had like his proper like shaving on the sides of his head. And so I think whereas before you could see like a clear fade, defined fade, but it's like, it's a little bit more grown in, but it's taller on the top, a little bit of an Afro on, up top. As the sort of wakes up, we sort of see his young face in kind of like, you know, the equivalent, the sphere equivalent of pajamas, comfy clothes, definitely like leaning on that comfort after a a fraught night. 
we see him sort of like blink awake. And as he's sort of waking up, we see the small line on his forehead sort of like part and like glimpses of a third eye that like is always just like slightly glowing kind of flickers open with the rest with his other two. And he sort of like kicks his feet out of bed. He, you know, changes into a little bit of a tunic is, is Zana there, his sister? Zana is not here, nor are the four walls of the home that you fell asleep in. Mm. It is just your bed in the middle of this beautiful and peaceful yet troubling glade. So Janet very sleepily sort of reaches out to like the the nightstand where he put his sort of uh, bandana that he normally kind of keeps uh, in various parts of his body, normally around his head, but he's been trying to, to place it other places because he's trying to not hide his third eye as much. But he reaches for the nightstand and it's not there. And he kind of looks to his left hand where it would be. And it's just nature. And so that sort of cues him to look up and around, taking in a more of a wide shot of this bed, his childhood bed in this glade. And it's a, hang on, my cat demands to get into the house, the room. Wow. <laughs> uh-huh. Demand. Uh-huh. Father. <laughs> Just wanted to make sure you're still here. And so he very sort of drearily kind of looks around trying to piece together what, what is going on? And I think as it starts to sink in, it's it's more of a dread that starts to kind of creep in to cloud his senses. And he's like, what is going on? What, where, where is Zana? Where is my room? Where, where is anyone? And so I think there is like this impulse to where the muscle memory of his house would be. He wants to like go into the hallway of just, but it just really just looks like he's stepping into, I guess, more of this glade. He's trying to like find anyone. Yeah. You step into the thickness and fullness of the gnarled branches that make up the forest itself. You turn looking for familiarity, perhaps even calling out to friends and family. Sana! Dad? The branches, the forest, swallows those words. It is speaking into an emptiness, but not like a man-made emptiness. Not one that echoes, that is full of bare things. This is full of brambles and scratchets, thickets, things that hunger and devour and swallow. You feel the forest take the words from you and leave you with nothing. It is silent, but it is the sort of silence that is full of things. I think John, it kind of is like the, the dread is setting in. It's, it's morphing into terror. He is now so acutely aware of the absence of 
familiar sounds, smells, feels, and then the presence of like that sort of ever present noise of the forest that's like very that's subtle but also kind of menacing. The, his own steps as they as he walks like you know further into this forest, breaking branches kind of off in the distance. Anything could be familiar, anything could be dangerous. And so his breath is starting to like get a little bit more erratic. Gable? Travis? He's he's trying to he's realizing that he's having this this reaction and he's trying to center himself again. He starts to like hum a little bit because Jonnet is often often comforted by his own low hum and a percussive beat. So he's trying to like beat on his chest to sort of calm himself and be present with himself in this moment of like loss. He's like, all right, I'm going to open my third eye because if you don't know, if you're new to the podcast, welcome. Uh, His third eye sort of gives him glimpses into the pathways of the universe and the different things that he could do. And he takes guidance from that. And so he opens his uh, third eye to try and uh, see if there's something that he can do. Uh, Perfect. Um, I would love for you to make an arcane check for me. And we're going to put this difficulty at hard. Okay. All right. Okay, so that totals out to one success. One success. Jonnet, you start looking down the pathways of the universe. Seeing the different directions that you could go. And I, I like I'm getting the impression that Jonnet right now is is looking for familiar faces, is looking for his family, looking for his friends, yeah, looking for his crew. I think his his like his pitch to the universe is like, if I go in search of my friends, if I go in search of Zana out of all the different pathways in the universe, like that is that's what I'm stepping out uh, to do. what are the what are the outcomes? So we can hear the beat that Jonnet is laying for himself, that, that he is pushing through his eye. And his eye, like we can see the pathways of the universe, these like normally very geometric things are bouncing their edges against the roots and tangles of this forest. Those, those angular things uh, sort of taking on the shape of, of naturalistic forms. And, and it's hard. Like, they, they have to take more terms, move in more instances. And you can hear, mixing in with the beat that Jonnet is laying, uh, the sound of a woodpecker. The knock, 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 knock. Silence. Knock, 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 knock. Silence. And that woodpecker beat starts to overwhelm and swallow up Jonnet's beat. And we can hear the rhythm only of Jonnet's quiet breathing with the knocking of the woodpecker. And we can see a vision that is brought to Jonnet. Zana is standing in the middle of a field and Jonnet approaching with each step 
the woodpecker beat hits again and again. He then puts his hand on Zana's shoulder, turns her around, and we can see that her flesh has intertwined with a tree. Her skeleton is branches. Her face is a series of rotting knot hollows in a tree. She turns around and wraps her hands around Jonnet's neck. You scream as your voice is like escaping again, being swallowed up into the rushing sounds of an empty forest. And Zana reaches a hand down, reaches into your chest, pulls out your beating heart and places it in the tangle of branches and roots that make up her chest. And you are brought out of the vision. Once again, standing at the edge of your glade, near your childhood bed, alone in a forest. Oh, so it's like the the distance that he's walked is now reset. He's back mm-hmm. at it. Oh, shit. So I think, oh man, I think at that, like, the things that Jonnet has come to know to, like, soothe and provide guidance have failed, and he is a young man, but he's still small, and I think this is, like, this is, like, shaking him in a way that he maybe hasn't experienced before, and so I think he's frozen. He's a bit paralyzed. He looks down back where his nightstand should be. It's not there. Every There's like a couple like maybe fireflies that like danced in front of him the first go through that it happens in the exact same way. And that dread just like hits like a ton of bricks. His breath immediately is just like very erratic. And so I think he's just like, he sits back down into the bed and maybe gives like want like starts calling to people but he also doesn't want to leave the bed he's kind of like grabbing the the edge of the bed you can see his his fingers are are kind of laced up in the the top sheet and he's just like gable dad mom and we cut away from Jonnet Kessler to another part of the forest. Liz, where is Gable? And could you describe them to our audience? To clarify, this is the evening of the party. This is the morning after the party, where you wake up and you find yourself alone in the woods. It can be anywhere in the woods, in any environment, in any state of dress, you know, It's Gable went to sleep at a party and woke up in the woods. Yeah, I think they had fallen asleep just sort of sitting up back to a wall in a corner, just like it it was more of a nod off than anything. They thought they were Mm -hmm. going to wake up and get back to partying. I think they were probably just watching a game of darts or something and had a bottle in their hand, just kind of nodded off. And fell and fell asleep, and then all of a sudden, they do the. It feels like you're falling, so you wake up, go like, <gasps> with bottle yeah. still in hand, and look around. 
And you are in a completely different area. Tra- Travis? We zoom out, and we can see Gable in full. Liz, please describe what Gable looks like to us. Gable is a uh, large, filled-out person. They are about, they're extraordinarily tall, very beefy, beefy and just overall an intimidating figure, even though they are sitting with the back to their tree, uh, so you can't really tell from from their sitting right now. They have long scars on the back of their back, on the back of their back, uh, vertical, as if to indicate that there was something of surgical precision that happened there, because they are, of course, one of the fallen, a fallen angel, as it were. And over the course of the past few weeks and months, they have longish silver hair that has been growing out in tufts that they've been keeping out in sort of a, a middle bandana headband sort of out of their face situation and has been slowly in the way that many people go gray at the temples they've been going uh, black and gold at the temples Ooh, I love that I yeah love and that. I, I want to point out Tyler has given us a beautiful gift in uh, deciding to describe uh, like the edges of Jonnet's hair, which we are used to being kept in a, a tight uh, fade, like growing out to be tufty, which means, I think, an undeterminate amount of time has passed between when people went to sleep and when people woke up. Because I was thinking, Tyler, about the logic of you having your sweet 16 birthday. I think... If you're going to have your sweet 16, you're going to get faded up. Someone is going to give you a beautiful cut because all eyes are going to be on you. And when we last saw Jonnet, that's how it was. When we last saw Gable, they were struggling with growing out their hair. Now, I think their hair has grown out a lot more. And yes, changed to have these black and gold streaks in it. And as they wake up, they sort of scrumble and look around, obviously thinking that hungover panic of, oh, I don't remember. I don't remember what happened. What did I do? I must be, am I drugged? Is this real? And so they they stand up and try and get height to see how drunk they still are, I guess. Yeah, we can see Gable stand up next to this tree that they were leaning against. And You know, here is where we can really appreciate Gable's size, being seven feet tall. Well, I'll say that this is a smaller tree. They are reaching some of the upper branches, but like in this this far out zoomed out shot, we can also see that even the tallest person, even someone as massively physically imposing as Gable, looks very small in a forest because them being tall is really only relative to us and all there is around them are these trees. I also like Liz Gable waking up in an area that is like not not a pond but like there is just like a spring kind of like this long flat plain of of rushing water around the area where you are. So there are 
thick and heavy mosses around you that coat all of the branches of the trees and trunks of these trees. And I think louder than anything else in the area is just like the slightest and faintest sound of trickling water. That's sort of crazy making a little bit. (laughs) Um, I think their first assumption is that they were pranked. Oh, some they, they just dragged me to the forest. Oh my god, that's going to be so inconvenient. But thankfully they fell asleep in their clothes. They've got everything that they need. They've got their weaponry. They've got their sword. So I think what Gable's going to do is climb up a tree and see where they are. See if they can see the ship from there. All right, Liz, I think I want an athletics check from you. And let's let's make it average. Let me pull up the dice application. Genesis dice roller. You said it was difficult? Average. Two 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 purple. Alright, this should be fine. Climbing, huh? That is one advantage. (laughs) That's it. That is perfect. So Gable, like, starts climbing up this tree. And climbing a tree, not very difficult. Climbing this tree, pretty difficult. And it is because it is coated in moss. It is dewy and wet and slippery. It's it's difficult work. I, I don't know how much or if Gable gets hungover, maybe like they, they probably do. It, it is within Gable's personality, I think mm-hmm. to be hungover sometimes after they drink. So maybe you're, you're dealing with that a little bit there. I, I think this activity feels remarkably mundane. You know, you are climbing this tree to orient yourself in an unfamiliar place. You are cursing out the, the potential people uh, that this, could could have brought you to this end like obviously travis is a big possibility but also dragging you out into the middle of the woods has a very wendell energy to it there there's just there are a lot of inconvenient people in your life who you love very dearly who could have brought you to this and you grab the next highest branch above your head and as you pull it under your weight it breaks away And squirting out of that branch, coating and covering you and your arm and your hand is red human blood. You scream. I don't know if you scream. But you fall immediately out of the tree and thud into the pure water. And we can see the beautiful, massive tangle that is Gable's hair spreading out through the water. This is water that is so clean and so pure that, like, when you walk through it, like... It, it ripples across the surface. We there we can see that there are like a lot of mosses and reeds and whatnot that grow out of this. So it's not a, a pure ripple, but it is like that sort of like pure clear water where the dirt and mud beneath it kind of rolls out in those beautiful clouds. And the blood coming out of the tree branch spreads out. So we just have this beautiful shot of Gable from above with their massive hair and like the, this, this mud and blood kind of like mixing in the water as their face is locked into sheer terror. 
what does the water feel like? Who whose water does it feel like? Uh, like this is cold water, um, which is probably not something that that you have been like in very much, you know. But this is is pure cold water. You don't feel like the touch of the mariner. You don't even feel the touch of Rusalka. Jonnet's voice echoes throughout the branches around you. Gable leaps their way out of out of the spring, and I'm is the blood gone? No. Awful. Pain, pain. <laughs> <laughs> All right, moving on. Terrible. So to hear, see if they can hear where Jonnet is. In the meantime, still like trying to scrub that that blood off. Would would you like to like? There's got to be some kind of role that we can make to have you like pinpoint. Maybe it's perception. Sure. You're you're trying to figure out where these cries might be coming from. Come on, perception. Oh, I'm not a very perceptive person. What is my perception? Oh God. And we'll make this average. What a bad time. <laughs> that is what two threats. Two threats. Two threats. You need to tell me what that means. (laughs) So, yeah, I I would like to, we were cutting to Gable's vision a little bit, and we're we're looking around at the forest. And this is a beautiful forest. Like, there is light that is cascading through the the green leaves of the treetops around you. I think there are quite a few willows in this area with with long and drooping branches. A gentle breeze flows through and makes everything around you sway just so very gently. And at the distance of your vision, there are shadows that, that, that betray like the true tangle of the forest around you. But everything is so very green. There is so much moisture, so much moss here. It is so damp. It is green and verdant and vibrant as you crane your ears to hear Jonathan. Gable? I'm just going to start. I've, I got... Jonathan? Jonathan? Keep keep talking. I'm, I'm very close. And so they start marching off in that direction all the while just sort of Lady Macbeth trying to get the blood off their hand. And you run, you run, and you're like trying to, to wipe away away this blood and move, and you can hear Jonnet's voice getting louder and louder and closer and closer. And I would like to ask you, Liz, you are pierced either by a thorn or a branch. Where? Oh, on the thigh, like right at the hip level. Yeah, there is a fallen log that you are running past. And I think this is where our audience gets an idea of some of the power that Gable has. You are thundering through the forest. Your heavy footsteps fall in this water, sending it cascading around you. You are focused on the frantic cries of Jonnet, the young child in your group that you care for and worry for so dearly. The log does not matter to you in the long run. As you are running, it clips the side of you and pierces and cuts your thigh. We can see 
You said that in the past that Gable does not bleed, but what does it look like when they are pierced? Is it still red? Kind of like a cut Mm -hmm. that should have gotten a stitch, but never did. So like it's a little bit raised and pinkish, but Mm. like still very fleshy, but it's almost like it jumps a few a few measures yeah and, and we can see the kind of like waterlogged branch like this is heavy and old wood that fell a long time ago and has absorbed a lot of water it explodes under the pressure of gables running you you feel pain as you take one strain but you pay it no mind because where you are headed to in your mind is so much more important than where you were coming from. Just breathe. Got it? I'm right here. I'm trying to breathe, Gable. Sit down. Sit down. I'll be right there. And we cut away. Hey heroes, it's James, your Game Master, and welcome to the mid-roll, and a brand new arc of Campaign Skyjacks. First up, we have some amazing art to accompany our In the Woods arc of Skyjacks. There is a cover piece of The Forest Queen done by Sable, who is at Knife Patron on most social media platforms, and exquisitely detailed pieces of the main Skyjacks crew done by Esperanza Galaxy, who can be found at Esperanza Galaxy on most social media platforms. If you're a Patreon backer, you already have access to Sable's art, and I'm going to be uploading the high-quality versions of Esperanza's art today. Next up, in the second part of the show, we have a special guest. Uh, I'm going to leave everybody to be surprised by it, but I'll remind you if you're reacting to this on any of the fan discords out there, be sure to use the spoiler bar. And if you're one of the drowning rats going down on the ship of Twitter, be sure to tag it with Skyjack Spoilers. I suppose that's also a useful hashtag if you are one of the surviving rats who is currently rat-pedaling your way over to Tumblr. But yeah, let folks be surprised. I am really, really excited about this arc. Some really cool stuff is going to happen, but it's also a really big deal. So I guess hang on to your hats and enjoy the ride. Next up, we are about to switch hosting platforms on Campaign Skyjacks. Now, as a listener, you shouldn't have to do anything. We're going to migrate the feed over and set up a redirect so we come to your podcast app as normal. However, should you experience any problems, be sure to delete our feed and resubscribe. That will hopefully clear up any redirect issues. The other thing this migration means is that we will soon have dynamic ads inserted into our program. I'm going to post a bonus episode on the Skyjacks feed that will explain how those ads work and what you as a listener can expect from them. Honestly, I think it all centers around inflation, but we aren't bringing in as much money on Patreon as we were a couple months ago. And life is more expensive for the people who make this show. So if I have the ability to bring new income to the network through dynamic ads, I've got to take it. Be sure to watch your feeds for that explainer. Hopefully these ads aren't going to be a big deal. And we'll need your help to make sure the experience is as painless as possible. With that said, I would like to thank our backers on Patreon who make this show possible. The reason we're able to support our staff in these trying times is all of you 
who headed over to patreon.com slash one-shot podcast and signed up to support us. Everything you contribute through Patreon helps to make this show better and helps take care of the people who make it. For that, heroes, you have my sincere gratitude. One last thing. Next week is Thanksgiving. Traditionally, we have that week off, but I am trying to put something together for you because there was so much downtime this month with the transition into the new arc. So watch this space. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Now then, with all of that out of the way, let's get back in the sky. We cut away to a gentler place. We cut away to a bed of thistledowns and mosses. There is sun that is peering through the branches of some high trees. The air here smells sweet as there are many flowers that surround this place. The the tall trees around here are large enough to fend off any competition, but also allow just enough light to cascade down for life to thrive around them. And this is, of course, where Captain Oromar Vale is. And to describe Captain Oromar Vale, Johnny, I would love for you to describe Travis Matigo to us. <laughs> um, so Travis is a gentleman in uh, his his body appears i don't remember the age like mid late 30s yeah yeah you you had him around mid 30s but but also worn weathered in a in a distinguished way i'd say he's got white hair that is distinct from the hair of anyone else on the crew of the <laughs> he generally wears a long green coat that you would associate with a pirate or someone from uh, colonial times in the United States. But it's extremely showy. Like, I feel like <laughs> we've been Very dealt gold. a real blessed hand by our flag beans death because we're exactly <laughs> at that level, level of decorative. Yes. We, he's, uh, he's wearing of quite, quite a few watches on, uh, his wrists and, uh, in the pocket of his jacket, he has a deck of Illimat cards. Not that we necessarily see much of that initially, because I think after the kind of establishing shot of this flower field, we are plunged into darkness and we can only hear the of a heartbeat in the middle distance, it feels like. With this heartbeat, it gets louder. And 
Orimar thinks to himself, what is that sound? It's so loud. It's so distracting. And then pain follows. The pain that is every single cell and nerve in your body screaming when it does not have enough oxygen. And then suddenly... I can breathe. I I can, I can, I can breathe. You smell the sweet flowers and feel the warmth of the sun. Orimar does not move. They just kind of open their eyes and breathe raggedly as they stare flat on their back into the sky. There is so much information all flooding into this body at once. It's almost sensorily blinding making it almost impossible to concentrate. He thinks, but says out loud, got to get this all under control. Too much information. We just need to pare it down to the key facts. Do I have... Wait. I I can hear myself. I... He tries really, really hard to move an arm to touch his own face. Mm -hmm. I think you slap yourself in the face because (laughs) we got it. It's Skyjacks, baby. We got to be a little bit cartoony. That's exactly where I was going. Yeah. (laughs) And a shock of pain rips across his face. Ow, that hurt. That hurt. That hurt. That. I feel. Just monologuing while still staring at the sea. Mm-hmm. I feel so... <sighs> I don't think I've felt like this in a very long time. Is it just because I've been dead? Or have I never felt like this before? Um, Travis doesn't have a beard, does he? He tends to keep himself clean-shaven. No, uh, I, and I think he literally can't grow one. Hmm. Maybe. The Johnny? photo has him with a yucky little mustache. Well, so but. yes, well, there are two versions of Travis that we could go with. Bo- both, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I, I could consider canon because we have the Hannah Lavender Travis, which is clean shaven, and we have the Carice mm-hmm. Bolds Travis, which does have the mustache. I think John, the mustache no real is beard. fun. <laughs> uh, and then the kind of feeling that there's no hair on his chin at all. Ah. I understand. So, I suppose this means I won the bet. Ha! I knew I'd win the bet. What an idiot. (laughs) Of course. Of course. Of course. No problem at all. No problem at all. Of course. Of course. I wouldn't. He he likes to start bets that he wouldn't win. Of course, I'm, you know, unstoppable force, a movable object. I'm rambling and people can hear me speaking out loud. Okay. Okay. (laughs) Okay. So, and now there's a bit of a turning of the head from side to side to kind of see that we are definitely not in the sleepy little town full of giant turkeys that we were in previously in Akron. Is this... Is this where the body goes when he's an animal? How convenient. Ormar gets up. 
It is, as you have seen before, like this is a lovely place to be. The ground around you is soft. The air around you is sweet. The sun beating down is warm, but not hot. Johnny, where William lay with Margaret, did you decorate it beyond what naturally grew there? No, but Mm -hmm. I believe that when we sort of like walked into this clearing all around the edges of the clearing flowers just happened to bloom yeah we we can see that like this is a bed of thistle downs that 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 you are in but spreading out from around that you know there there is this ring of flowers and you can see i think even directly in front of you there is a pathway of columbine flowers that are currently budded that they are not in full bloom but you can see the the purple of those blooms folded up into little budding points well if this is where his body goes i suppose it's quite a peaceful place although i would uh rather prefer to be back in acheron all right Let's see how that works. Maybe I need to do some concentrating. Oromar closes, gets, stands up, has closed his eyes, and in a very, there ain't no place like home kind of way, is uh, thinking very hard about where Travis Matago's animal body must be in parallel to this location. So when he opens his eyes, he will be in the body of guess a giant turkey considering that's the last thing that johnny that um that travis turned into he opens his eyes i think like you are concentrating trying to move in that way and before you get far you hear in the distance what sounds like the clash of steel against steel of a battle ongoing somewhere hmm the clashing, I think, kind of interrupts his concentration. Okay. I... Or maybe this is a, 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 a dream? I have not dreamed in so long. Is this what dreams are like? I forget. Um. You can hear a sound that you have not heard in a long time. In many martial arts traditions, sound is sacred. The way one controls and moves breath works in turn with the way one controls and moves one's own body. The things that we talk about in in terms of being battle cries or, you know, the the famous uh, uh, Mm haya in karate or any of the sounds that, that Bruce Lee made, they are something that people who are trained to fight are trained to do to make sure that they are breathing. And folded into that sacred tradition, of course, is the hallmarks of your culture. And you hear the sounds of two cultures very distinctly. The, I think, rhythmic and flowing sounds of someone trained in a Rakshari tradition. 
and the, I think, beating and pulsing sounds of someone trained in a Bandari tradition. Mm. The shouts intertwine with the clashing of steel. And I think in the the thought of this being a dream or anything like that is immediately discarded and is instead an instinctual shock of hearing any Vandari culture just occurring in the world is enough to to make Oromar want to leap towards that to investigate. And I think this sound is happening behind him. Mm-hmm. And he gasps in surprise and I think tries to immediately turn heel and sprint, but he is so used to having to labor his body to do any movement at all. He incredibly overshoots Hmm. and just ends up kind of, you know, flinging himself at the ground. He probably manages to bruise himself actually pretty badly, maybe even break a finger with the sheer force that he's flung himself in a direction. I love it. Yeah. You fall down and just blooming, flowing pain fills your every sense. It overwhelms you. It is the first time that you have felt pain in months. And it is so very, very loud. Ormos screams. People have heard the body of Captain Oromar Vale scream in the past, and it has his weight, his gravitas, it has been carved through a life of very difficult and angry hardship in trying to survive, but these lungs don't work in the same way, they've not had quite the same experiences, and so it comes out almost like a, a, a jet stream of pressurized water, this scream as it just rockets through the trees. Take one wound. Absolutely. And we cut yet again. We cut to a field of green leaves, or what appears to us to be a field of green leaves. These are ivies, thick and lush, The sun is reflecting off of their semi-glossy coat as they are knotted and intertwined with each other. This just beautiful blossom of green. We're just panning over this vision, moving up and up and up until we can see a face mixed in with the green of these leaves. And this is the face of Oromar Vale. Nathan, I would love for you to describe this face for us. Oromar Vale is a black man in his, I want to say, mid-60s, around six... I believe he is mid-50s, but it it doesn't matter. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) He's a a grown-ass man (laughs) and is uh, both tall, around 6'3", and also quite stockily built, quite wide, with long dreads, with small clasps of gold that go all the way down to the small of his back, wearing a long uh, corsair's coat, and I think a dark blue brocade, and a tricorn hat that has a habit 
of covering his face, something that he needs to do on a regular occasion because Ormar Vale is dead and has been for about the last six to eight months. Currently, his eyes are closed, which, of course, brings us to Travis Matigo. Travis, your consciousness becomes aware and alight in darkness. It is just you and your thoughts. You hear nothing. You feel nothing. You see nothing. What do you do? I think the first thing I think about here when I am aware is I, th- I, I think back to when Dref died. Mm. Because this space reminds me a lot of the space where that happened. I think it is an extremely familiar like feeling of this place. I feel like most people would feel horrifically disoriented, where you probably feel horrifically oriented. <laughs> I think this is also a place where, whether he would admit it or not, Travis has often revisited in dreams. I, th- I think he's thought about this place a lot. Yeah. Yeah, you, you you are here once again. How aware is Travis of dreams? What do you what do you, uh, explain yourself? What what do you mean by that? So I, I think like some people are lucid dreamers. You know, they they when they are dreaming, they are aware of the dream and able to control or command it a little bit. And you know, a lot of people like don't remember their dreams at all or or very, very scarcely do. And other people are just very in it, in the reality of the dream. So if this is a recurring dream for Travis, I think the the options would be kind of Uh, Us knowing how Travis thinks and feels in this recurring dream uh, that that, that he normally has or, you know, Travis like kind of becoming conscious in this moment is becoming conscious of a dream for the first time. Like, oh, I must be dreaming right now sort of thing. So I think Travis often does not remember his dreams except for when he has nightmares. Oh, a gift from his mother. I think <laughs> I think this is a dream that he has often. And I I, th- I think he often sort of revisits that scene with Dref in his dreams. And each time he gets farther and farther into the the events before he wakes up and each time he realizes that it's a dream that's the moment that he wakes up and i think when he finds himself here he realizes oh or he he, has, he thinks oh i'm having this dream again i'm going to wake up yeah i think you are in this pitch featureless blackness that that has no sensation whatsoever and 
you know, like you're, you're, you're sort of lost in that, in like this state that edges between dreams and consciousness. And then like you, you turn around in it and you see Dref in front of you. Just the, the full image of him as you remembered him. And I, I feel like that is when this occurs to you, that this must be a dream. Mm-hmm. And I, I think Tra- Travis's first thought is like, okay, this is a dream. Now that I've realized it's a dream, I'm going to wake up. And I assume that doesn't happen. You, you, you should not be here. I know. I should be awake. Wait, how? You're not supposed to talk to me like this. I, I am not. This is usually when I am here. When, when I am close to being awake, it is, it is the captain, but you, you are not him. No. What? What are you talking about? Travis. Yes, Travis, but why? Why what? What's happening? You are, are, are with me now. C- connected through my heart. I thought... I thought that was a captain thing. Travis, I thought so too. I have felt you, your life force, the energy that the captain takes to sustain me in his body and to move himself. But now, you are here. Which means... Travis, what do you feel? Can you feel? I feel nothing. Well, I suppose in many ways that is good. Ah, mm, How to explain? Uh, Travis, you are... Dead, but also not dead, so that should be a small comfort, I would think. If this is not a dream, and I'm not convinced it's not, I think I know what's happening. And I hate it. Travis, do you dream of me? I do. But... Let me be very clear. It is not. Because I choose to. So don't get a big head. You know, you have a habit of saying the most terribly pleasant things in the most terribly unpleasant way. (laughs) Travis, if you don't mind, if you do know what's happening, would you explain it to me? I'm going to tell you something that I say so rarely. You won't believe it. But I lost a bet. (laughs) 
Of course. Of course, then it is you in the body. You are dead because you are inside death. I just hope he doesn't start walking into walls and you know dropping knives on on my feet or whatever whatever he does uh, the captain is a, 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 a man of honor and grace i have come to know this especially well in our months together spent in this spiritual world i must imagine if the captain is in your body he is treating it with the utmost respect we cut back to the captain <laughs> in fuck, fuck. <laughs> Shit! God, <laughs> fucking ah! And we cut back to the void. Dref, Dref, this is so important. Can we remind him how to use the bathroom? Because that is a fairly new coat that I do not want him to soil. Hmm. <laughs> mm. Unfortunately, where we are, it, until you can connect with and. Move the body as the captain has become familiar with. Uh, um, it, it would be quite impossible for you to connect with or communicate with anyone. He's gonna shit in my coat. <laughs> <laughs> and here's the thing. Here's the thing. Best case, it's an accident. But you know what? If he figures it out, I bet he'd do it on purpose. And here's here's the thing about that is that it's 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 honestly funny and if the roles were reversed I'd do the same thing and that's what I hate most about it. Mm, uh, well, mm, Travis, uh, well I do think you have uh, uh identified what, what what could be priorities to uh some people, in some circumstances, <laughs> perhaps we should shift those to where we currently are. Hmm? The necromantic magics that uh, 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 are underpinning our situation are quite unique and different, and there will be much to walk you through. And I don't know how much of a student of magic you might be, but I will try to simplify and explain things if only you have the capacity to try to... And he's going on into a mumble. So you're saying that I could get into his body and shit in his coat. (sighs) Can he shit? Hmm. Uh, complicated. Uh, mm, I did make provisions for... Expelling waste through... Uh, Why? Uh! (laughs) Well, things can be caught in folds and uh, areas. I I take it back. I take it back. Uh And one must maintain a cleanliness within a system to keep it functioning well and not invent Uh. a degradation and decay and... mm, mm, (laughs) hmm. I I think canonically this has been something that both you and Gable have asked multiple times and every time Dref explains you immediately forget it again, so this is probably why. (laughs) Uh, Glaze over. Uh, Speaking of decay, the body, if it is not being controlled, does not have access to the necromatic energies which preserve it. 
well, can you just beam me in there real quick? I can hang out for the day and kind of just, I don't know, maybe take a nap? Hmm, yes. We should beam you in there. Hmm. But I, I, I am afraid, Travis, that, that it is you who must take the reins of the body. I, I, I must stay here and sustain the spell, lest we be found by the cutting stone or, 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 or unmoored to face the river. Well, it's just, you know, zap mm. me on over. Mm. Uh, yes. So, in order to maintain a sense of your spiritual form and death, uh, 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 the first and most important thing is one must have a will to live. Ugh. Travis, can you think of something that keeps you alive? That even through, oh, I don't know, months of trial and pursuit by supernatural forces that hunger to drown you in silence uh, might keep you going. Uh, 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 a thing to fight for. Is this a rhetorical question, or do I have to tell you what it is? Well, I can assure you that it is not rhetorical. You must have an answer, but I suppose you need not share it with me. I, I think we have reached a certain level of intimacy. I did sacrifice my life, uh, in part for your freedom, uh, 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 but I suppose we might not be on the level of you telling me why you want to live. That does seem quite important, and I would not like to pry. I, I, I respect your privacy and, and, and such. I, I mean, do we have time? I could get into it, but feels sort of urgent. Yes, yes, it, it should feel urgent, Travis. What makes you want to live? Well, for a long time, honestly, it's just something to do. You know. Oh. Okay. But, but, I know, I know, hmm? not, that's, but then. <laughs> kind of a bummer. Yeah, well, when you're alive for so long, it's kind of like, well, it's all I know how to do. What else are you going to do? Well, I was 19 when I died, so can't relate. Okay, well, you know, it's kind of or like... 22. Um, Both ages were said. One, I think, makes more sense. But a lot of people have gravitated to and held on to the 19, so... <sighs> Maybe you could relate to, like, you know, there's, like, a Chinese restaurant close to you that you go to every week. And it's not, like, the best Chinese food, um, but it's still pretty good, and it gets the job done. And you're like, well, I've been going here for so long, and it's really convenient. And I... Yeah, you know, I could try another place, but it might not be as good. Mm -hmm. So I'm just going to stick with what I know and just okay. keep getting 
the same Chinese food every week just because it's like right by my apartment and I pass it from the train every week. Travis, I fear that that, that, that will not be enough to hold on. Oh, no, well, th- that's not... Oh, oh. Right, I said that's that for a while. Oh, good. You, 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 you're very sad. Very sad. You're very sad. Well, look, the food was fine. You know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> From a distance, somewhere in the world, Gabriel's yelling, Just go into the body! <laughs> Wrap it up! If that's not it, then what is your reason to live? Well, um, a lot's happened since you died. Um, mm-hmm. Someone from my past who I thought was gone is back. Well, Travis, that's wonderful. I, I, I need you to focus your being on that. Focus all of yourself. Johnny, I need you, I think, to make a divine check. Okay. Interesting. What's the difficulty? (sighs) I'm going to put this at heart. That's three? Uh, That is three. Mm -hmm. Three purple. Well, that's two successes and... Holy shit. (laughs) A threat. Hmm. Perfect. You think of Margaret. And as you do, there is a flicker that you feel. As though your spirit is a gentle flame that has has caught on. And there is like the void that you are in there is nothing to reflect the light but you can tell that there is light in it where there was not before you see the the form of dref in front of you hold on to that precious thing and I will show you the way I will show you what I have learned. And Dref's hands reach out towards you, Travis. And this very much reflects the scene that we saw when Dref passed away the first time of Dref reaching towards the robed and hooded figure who was stabbing him and taking his life. Ken,
Campaign Skyjacks is a one-shot network production. For more information, be sure to follow us on Twitter over at CampaignPod for updates about live shows and other events we might be doing. You can find more great gaming shows over at OneShotPodcast.com. Jonnet Kessler was played by Tyler Davis, who can be found on Twitter and Instagram at Tyler A. Dave. You can stream his short film, Lining, on the Roku channel for free. Just search for The Shortlist, Summer. Gable was played by Liz Anderson, who can be found on Twitter at LizAnderson underscore underscore underscore, or on her podcast, Paired. Travis Matigo was played by Johnny O'Mara, who can be found on Twitter at Johnny and Briefs, or on his podcasts, Bill Buds and Dilettante Ball. Captain Oromar Vale was played by Nathan Blades, who can be found on Twitter at PhantomArtsENT. You can also find them streaming on twitch.tv slash theneoncaster. I am James D'Amato, your host and game master. You can find me on Twitter at OneShotRPG or on my other podcast, OneShot. The original music featured in this podcast was written, composed, and performed by Arnie Parrott. You can find him on Twitter over at A-R-N-E-P-A-R-R-O-T-T. You can find more of his work at atptunes.com. This episode was edited by Casey Tony who can be found on Twitter at Casey Pony or on his podcast, Neo Scum. Our logo was designed by Fiona Shea, who can be found on Twitter at Fiona Pup. The World of Sphere was inspired in part by the music of the Decemberists and Illimat, produced by Together Studios. This show uses a modified version of the Genesis role-playing system designed by Sam Stewart and a team of talented professionals who were fired by the private equity firm owning Fantasy Flight Games. And once for our friends near to rise, twice to the dearest we're leaving behind, who know we can never deny the call of the sky.